you can't hurt me if you don't know the real me. I lived in a town where I was different. And if the me that I'm supposed to be repels certain people, then so be it. It will attract the people that are supposed to be in my life. It will repel the people that aren't. And learning how to become okay with that has been a 15-year journey. Welcome to Your Financial Sobriety, a podcast that challenges conventional beliefs about money and life. We're here to talk about the only three relationships in life that really matter our relationship with ourselves, our relationship with other people, and our relationship with money. And they are all tied very closely to one another. If you've ever struggled with any of these relationships at any point in your life, then you're in the right place. I'm Matthew Grishman, co-owner of Gebhardt Group. We're a private wealth management firm headquartered just outside San Francisco, California. I'm joined by my business partner and BFF, Jim Gebhardt, who got this party started when he opened the doors of our firm in 2005. Jim and I created Your Financial Sobriety because we want to help a lot of people. We're on a mission to become the most disruptive money influencers of our time. If after listening today, you're able to take one step closer to keeping your money more aligned with the people, places, and experiences that mean the most to you, then Jim and I just got one step closer to accomplishing our mission. When I was 12 years old, a boy named Jerry poked me in the forehead and he asked me, Hey, Jew, where's your horn? Wait. What did he just ask me? Why are all these kids laughing at me? I don't like this. Maybe I should run away. Hold it in, dude. Don't cry. It's only going to make things worse. Well, I did it. I ran away. And for the next three years of my life, I walked home from school looking over my shoulder every day. Some days, Jerry and his muscle man, Joe, would follow me home just to scare me. They'd start throwing all these anti-Semitic slurs in my face. Too bad we don't have concentration camps anymore, Jew boy. Other times, they'd have a small get-together of their pals waiting for me between, somewhere between the school parking lot and the end of my street. That's where they'd chase me until they cornered me, and then they'd throw me to the ground and kick and punch me for what felt like a long time. That's what happened to me as a child that first made me feel like I needed to put on a mask. That whole experience for the next three years of my life got me to a place where I developed this mentality that was like, you can't hurt me if you don't know the real me. I lived in a town where I was different. I was picked on for that difference. And until I was done taking all that bullying and stood up for myself in that same school parking lot in ninth grade, where Jerry dragged me out into the parking lot for a fight and I was done taking this anymore and I hauled off and hit him in the gut, it was finally over. And from that point, For a long time, I decided there was no way I was going to let the world know the real me. No way. Because the pain that I went through, this stuff that happened to me, I couldn't let it ever happen again. Subconsciously, I created so many different personas over the years just so that I could hide the real me, who I really was. I hid behind a mask, some sort of mask, from seventh grade until pretty recently. I've lived behind several masks. And as I've gotten older, I've learned a little bit more about those different masks that I've worn. Let's kind of go back to the beginning and get caught up to where we are today. Okay, yeah, that's great. What do you think, We're going to hit the pause button there for a second because that is a powerful, powerful story that you're sharing with us. Well, there's a reason why we're sharing it today. Absolutely. And 
my heart goes out to you for having to go through that experience and for everybody listening that has gone through any kind of an experience like that where you've been different and been judged for it and in this case physically taken both verbal and physical abuse for it. The whole concept of wearing a mask now as we start to move into the conversation around self, right, and my relationship with myself Mm -hmm. is absolutely why we're going to recap, no doubt about it. But thank you for all of us for sharing that story. You're welcome. Uh, it can't be easy for you to share. No, it, it it brings me back. But the journey that we've been talking about with financial sobriety has allowed me to look back on that time in my life. We've talked about this a bunch. That didn't really happen to me. It happened for me. Say the, that again, please. It didn't happen to me. It happened for me. Right. So it did happen to you. We're not ignoring the fact that that actually did happen to you. Right. We are figuratively saying, in the long run, it happened for you. Absolutely. Yeah. I think that's an important distinction for people to understand is that whatever trauma you go through, you did go through it. Absolutely. I was a victim of trauma. Yes. How I've dealt with processing that trauma over the years for many years was unhealthy. I felt anger and resentment towards those boys that did those things to me. Yeah. To the point that it spilled over into how I felt about that community that I lived in for five years. Yeah. What was incredible to see as I connected with some old friends from that town through social media over the years was that my old thinking of how much of a victim I was, how this happened to me, and and the level of resentments that I developed wound up clouding the way I actually saw the people who I did have good relationships with back then. The process of healing and the process of forgiving Jerry and Joe and some of those boys that did that to me back then has allowed me to flush those resentments and develop a relationship with myself that's become much stronger. Because part of where that victim mentality came from for me was the anger and shame I felt towards myself for putting myself in that situation and not being good enough, smart enough, strong enough, or fast enough to avoid those situations. I was pissed off at myself, right? really angry at myself. I can understand that. In today's vernacular, particularly with teens and young adults and these concepts of teaching children how to have better coping skills. Come on. There was no conversation in the 70s and 80s about coping skills. No. So here you go through what you went through and no shame in this at all. You had no coping skills. The only advice I was given, and I know- Hit them harder? Hit them harder. And and I know the people, my mom and my dad- and other people who were giving me that advice. I would have given you that advice. I know that that was the best advice they could possibly give me. Yeah. But what that advice did was because I was too afraid to do that until I finally did it a couple of years later, I was so afraid of doing that that it caused so much shame and guilt that I wasn't capable, that I couldn't do it, and I felt hopeless. I didn't have a solution because I wasn't willing to be physically violent myself until I was. Right. Okay, now let's recap. <laughs> well, this is... This is, why are we talking about this? Why am I sharing this story today? We're getting to that point in the financial sobriety curriculum where we've talked a lot about our relationship with money, my relationship with money, my dysfunctional relationship with money. We've talked about how that relationship with money affected my relationship with people. And we talked a lot about what we learned from that, the damage that was caused in my relationships. We talked about some of your relationships and how we went through a process of beginning to heal those relationships. 
Now we're getting to a very critical point where we're getting into that third and what I think is most critical of the three relationships, and that's the one you have with yourself. So our tagline for financial sobriety in these podcasts is be intentional with your money. Right. We have been very intentional with the sequence by which we are recording these episodes. Absolutely. Ladies and gentlemen of the jury, if we had come to you first with let's work on thyself, Hmm. you would have punted and done anything other than this. But if you've been listening this long, if you've gone through the sequence of the episodes, because again, intentionally we have recorded this in a way where you really should start with episode one and march your way forward, there'll come a day when the episodes aren't necessarily in sequence. But this has been extraordinarily intentional because of the heavy lifting that's going to go on. Well, think back to the first time you and I met, and even though you suggested to me— You were trying to sell me an annuity. What are you talking about? (laughs) And I did a good job of that. You did. I sold you lots of those things because they help people. They do. When they're used the right way. That's a proper tool. Thank you. The second time I saw you— Much better. When I didn't care as much about the annuity as I did about the pickle that I was in financially— You had shared something with me about the fact that I was chasing money to take care of my people to feel good about myself. And you had suggested that I got that order. You were close. I was close, but I needed to flip the order around, get good with myself, which allows me to get good with my people. And if I'm really clear with myself and my people, then the money decisions become much simpler. So the relationship with money becomes simpler. But yet if you think about the very first thing we did when you and I worked together, before we got me introduced to Jim Kelly and went down the road of working with some life coaches was Mm -hmm. the austerity diet. So even though we've gone off script a little bit and reversed the order a little bit, I wasn't really able to dive underneath me, the relationship I have with myself, the relationship I have with my people, until I at least stabilized, got my feet underneath me with my money and got that austerity thing down. We love sports analogies, right? We're both a couple of frustrated ex-professional athletes. Watching lots of reruns. Almost. Right. Not really. I mean, think of any professional athlete. I've got a swimmer. I've got a lacrosse player in my family. I've got a golfer. I've got an, an entertainer. You don't just jump onto the field to play and play at your best. They have a thing before the event that's generally called the... Warm up. Mm. And before that, there's even some stretching and some other things that they do for conditioning pregame to get themselves ready for warm up, to get themselves ready for the performance. May I submit again? That's what we're doing here today is we've done our stretching, we've done our pregame. Now we're ready for diving into the subject matter that is powerful. Well, let's face it is financial sobriety really a book and a podcast and a curriculum about money? as you like to say. And for those with us today that aren't in the room with us, Jim does that with a wink. It's one of my favorite Jimism. There's a little wink and a smile that goes with that. Okay, let's go back and review where we've been. As you know, partner, I have this obsession to challenge the status quo. I am obsessed with zigging when the world is zagging. Yeah. I love seeing where the herd goes And automatically, without having to think, I go in the opposite direction. It's the way I'm wired. I can't help it. Mm -hmm. Financial sobriety is a way of life that does exactly that. It challenges all common beliefs about money, how we save it, how we spend it, how we interact with it. It's about gaining complete clarity on the three, four, five most essential personal values that we have and then aligning our money with those values. The people, the places, the experiences that mean the most to us. 
It's about learning new behaviors by acquiring new tools to use to help us make better financial decisions moving forward. As you're describing this, I'm thinking of client experiences that I've had this very week. The, uh, the phraseology that we like to use with clients is that as you go through this process, you come out of it with a greater sense of clarity, a greater sense of capability, and a greater sense of confidence in your financial future. And so much of what you're describing here to me will do exactly that if you follow the process. You and I can't make a lot of promises to clients because of certain compliance restrictions, right? Things like guarantees and all that kind of I stuff. Shouldn't, I shouldn't do that anymore? You probably shouldn't. Oh, oh boy. Yeah, just in, case, uh, sorry, my old, just in case my old college roommate who used to work for the SEC is listening to us. I'm sorry, Mom. His name's Brian, but that's okay. No, my, my mom's listening. Oh, your mom's listening. I probably promised her some returns over the time. <laughs> there is one promise we are allowed to make, and that is if people go through the process exactly as we have described it and laid it out in this podcast series, that they will come out the other side of this with more confidence in themselves more clarity in the direction they need to go, and more capability in themselves and their ability to execute on the plan. Yeah, that's, that's the promise that's we make. That's been our experience time and time and time again. Absolutely. You know what financial sobriety is also about? It's also about my journey of learning how to clean up that mess that I made in my relationships with other people and myself because of the dysfunctional relationship I had with money. Actually dealing with the past in a way that's more than just being shameful and regretful, but actually looking at the past, gathering data about my behaviors and making different choices going forward. Yeah. So in, in the first two episodes, we gave this high-level overview of these three most significant relationships we have, the ones with ourselves, with others, and with money. Then we- trans- The next chunk. The next chunk, right? The next chunk of episodes dove really deep into that relationship with money. Uh, you know, we shared my story about the financial train wreck in 05, and some of the relapses I've had since. We'll get into more of those relapses in future episodes. Yeah. But we've covered some of that. We laid out this wealth formation experience that we take our private clients through. Granted, we've laid it out in the DIY format for Absolutely. people to be able to do it at We're home. We're just missing the YouTube videos. Right. <laughs> those are Maybe they're coming one day. And we did tons of writing and journaling exercises to help you begin this journey of financial sobriety. In the next episodes, After Money, we got into- Our all, people. Our people. Yeah. All these relationships with people, yeah. how our money behaviors affected those relationships, and, and how we begin to clean that mess up that we made. And I love how we've helped paint an awareness oh, yeah. for people. This phrase sticks in my head a lot. Sometimes you just can't unsee it. Right. Right? Yeah, my son has said that to my wife and me on a few occasions. And- you just can't unsee certain things, and now you've got an awareness to it. And I like to think that some of what we're doing here is bringing that awareness to, hey, how could my behavior with money, whether it be spending, whether it be how I make it, whatever it is, how could that be influencing my relationships with the people that mean the most to me? And that's what a good eight episodes was all about. Absolutely. That and awareness is huge. Whether... People have gone about a process to start cleaning up the behavior and then the subsequent impact to the people that mean the most to them. Hopefully that journey is beginning for them. Yes. Now we transition into what you start with in the book, but now we're transitioning the next umpty ump number of episodes <laughs> into? Into all about the relationship with self. Yeah. All about the relationship with me. Yeah. 
What's our what's our desired outcome with these next several episodes? What do you uh, think that should be? Have a bunch of fun. Yeah, have a bunch of fun. What else? Have some impact. I'm just playing with you. Like a little cat and mouse thing. Having fun, having impact will definitely happen if you and I do our very best to share our experience of what it was like when I hated the dude looking back at me in the mirror. Yeah. My version of that was in 08 when I just couldn't stand looking at myself in the mirror because I got myself embroiled in a real estate thing. And here I'm some, you know, pious on the top of the mountain financial advisor. And I'm, I'm I'm a mess financially. And I hated myself. How did I get in this situation? How did I let that happen? Oh, interesting. Well, so today we're going to talk about what that is that caused us to look in the mirror and not like the man looking back at us. And throughout the course of this conversation, whether we get to that in this episode or the next episode or the following episode, really the meat of this, which is how we begin to heal from all this. What are the actual action steps we take Mm -hmm. to change the way we see the person in the mirror? and truly connect with that person and develop an unconditionally loving relationship with that person. As I've said many times in this uh, sequence of episodes, that's powerful. Let me sneak peek the end a little bit. I'm one of those guys kind of like Billy Crystal in When Harry Met Sally. You read the last pages? I got to read the last page first. So I'm going to give you the last page first. Okay. To get there and to begin healing required me to have a very intimate relationship with my past self, my present self, and my future self. All three of you in the room at the same time? All three of us in the room at the same time. So that's the end of the story. We've given you the beginning of the story, and now we've got to talk about everything that goes into the story in between. Now, full disclosure. Full disclosure. So you and I are impossible to be misunderstood today. There is no way anything we talk about is going to offer any kind of quick fixes to heal a broken relationship with yourself. This doesn't happen overnight. We're not going to listen to one or two or three or four podcast episodes and all of a sudden have a completely transformed relationship with ourselves. I'm all better now. I'm all better. Exactly. Wow. I feel great. Miles just got his very first golf lesson with a very reputable golf coach who's coached a few of the guys at the top of the PGA pack right now. And we had to have a conversation about how it's going to take more than one lesson for him to achieve his goal of being the greatest golfer in the world. Just might. It just might. It might take more than one. It might. So what this is going to take for you and for me and for anybody else who's joining us on this financial sobriety journey is the open-mindedness, the willingness to think in terms of long-time horizons. This process of healing that relationship with self and developing unconditional love is not about a destination. It's not about having an outcome. Because what that does is if we have a destination and an outcome, we're always looking at where we're supposed to be in our relationship and feeling disappointed that we're not there. This is all about a journey. This is all about practicing some very basic principles, tools, and action steps on a daily basis to gradually heal that relationship and start to feel differently about yourself and allow that to grow and grow over the rest of your lifetime. But by no means is this a destination. It's a journey, and it's going to take time. Uh, so I can't fix this by Labor Day? Probably not. Oh. Maybe by Labor Day 2042. Oh. But even then, it's not a destination, because even if we get to the top of the mountain in 2042, there's probably a bigger mountain right behind it. Sensei Master. That's some good stuff right there. So this has been, everything that we're going to talk about has really been a culmination of 15 or more years, 15, 16 years almost. And may I say 15 years of you being a student? Absolutely being a student. Being a student 
who is obsessed with this inward journey of trying to know myself and heal this relationship with myself. And it's 15 years in the making that we're going to share that experience over the next several episodes. It's funny how certain sayings that exist, you're always like, where the heck did that come from? Right? So over the, the old saying, overnight success takes 15 years. Right. Right. 15 years. Yes. That's, so a long, we, that's a long night. If we slow that down for a second, overnight success takes 15 years. When you see people performing at their best, we've been trained by some of the coaches that we work with, and we're gonna, I'm going to talk more, a lot more about this, but we've been trained that the commentary around that success will be, oh, well, they were, they're gifted. They're born with it. They were born. Oh, my goodness. I mean, they were just born that way. That's what the golf guy said when Miles was getting fitted for clubs. He came up to me and said, your son has a natural, gorgeous swing. He has no idea how hard Miles has worked on that swing in the last year and a half. Right. That's part of why we want to talk about this concept of working with coaches. I went through the educational process, the mandatory 12 years of secondary school, and then you go to college, or I was blessed to go to college, and I did four years of that. And I never really had an appreciation for learning. I resemble that remark. I was a mandatory student. And when I got to college, sure, I got to go explore a subject matter that was interesting to me, but it was still in the confines of a box, mm -hmm. right? They were describing to me, okay, off the menu, I can have Happy Meal number seven. Oh, no, eight looks better. So I'll choose eight, right? It was still a prescription that I had to follow. It wasn't until I got out of school when actually I started to enjoy learning. When you became a student, when I became what I like to think of as a lifelong student. Yeah. It wasn't really until my early 30s when I started Gebhardt Group, when I started to think to myself, okay, I got a lot to learn. I have much more to learn than I do to contribute right now. So if I'm blessed with two ears and one mouth, I'm going to listen twice as much as I'm going to speak. Wait, slow that down a second. So after 10 years in the business, a couple of children, a mortgage, marriage, family, living— you felt at that point in your life that you had a lot more still to learn than to contribute. And I actually, I still do. I, I still feel that way. I still feel like a perpetual student, and I'm always fascinated and curious to learn more about different subjects. It doesn't necessarily have to be financial sobriety or financial services. I made a very conscious decision when I was 34 that it was going to be with coaches. If the greats in any endeavor theater, artistry, writing, athletics, financial services, financial services, whatever it is, they work with coaches. I'm a passionate golfer. So let's, let's use Tiger Woods as an example. Tiger has worked with many, many coaches over his career and different coaches provide you with different perspectives. One of my coaches ironically used to say, it's not the message. The message is generally the same. It's the messenger. And what are you ready to listen to? So for some of our listeners, we're a different messenger, and maybe it's getting through in the context of some of what we're talking about. I don't think our message is necessarily unique to just us. The concepts within financial sobriety are fairly universal. There, there's not a lot of stuff that you and I have been talking about that you and I created and invented. Yeah. These are all things, concepts, strategies we've learned from hiring some of the best coaches in our life to help us on this journey within to learn about ourselves, to learn about how to interact with other people, to learn about getting better at our craft. These coaches have given us everything that we have as far as this journey within. Yeah. Let's go through a little walk down memory lane, and let's start with uh, our dear, beloved, good friend who's now 
up above, Mr. Colonel Jim Kelly. You introduced me to him shortly after I met you. And although Jim and I had a very short time together, he said one very profound thing to me on the phone that I will carry with me for the rest of my life. Matthew, when are you going to start telling the truth to the whole world and take it off? Well, take what off, Jim? The mask. Can you repeat that, please? When are you going to start telling the truth to the world and take it off? Now, my reaction when he said that was I actually hung the phone up on him because I there didn't like— There a couple like, of expletives. Yeah, a couple expletives. Won't be on the family and, version of the show. Right, and it was a little painful for me to hear some truths about the fact that I had been full of crap most of my life hiding behind this mask. So, sorry to pause there for a second. Your immediate knee-jerk reaction was to— Hang up the phone. Say something not very nice and hang up the phone because he hit a nerve. He told me the truth, he which told hit you a the nerve. Truth, absolutely. absolutely hit a nerve. And that so often is the, is the as they say, the knee-jerk reaction is I, yeah. you hit a nerve and tweak, something happens. I'm out. I'm out. And I'm sure there are going to be some friends who hear some truths in these episodes that hit the stop button. Yes. But if you're anything like me, when you hit the stop button, you're going to think for a minute, what was that nerve that was just hit and is there some truth in there that I need to look at? And that's why I called Jim back and asked him what he meant by that. And what he meant by that wasn't judgment. It was truth, and it was something that he was trying to help me see, was that by no longer being full of crap, taking this mask off that I had been hiding behind my whole life, I could actually have greater impact on people by being real, by being the me I'm supposed to be. And if the me that I'm supposed to be repels certain people, then so be it. It will attract the people that are supposed to be in my life. It will repel the people that aren't. And learning how to become okay with that has been a 15-year journey. Because it's not easy when you inherently want to be liked. Oh, absolutely. Right? Absolutely. And, and I, I think in my life experience, most people like to be liked. Absolutely. There are those people that kind of go through life, they're like, I don't really care what people think of me or what they say about me. I mean, there are, there are people like that in this world. I could think of some examples in some senior leadership positions sure. in our country today that are that way. Sure. Yeah. And... It's not always easy when you want to be liked. No, it's not. Thankfully, I was in a place where after meeting you and meeting Jim in 2005 that I had open-mindedness enough to pick the phone back up. I have to thank my very first life coach for that, and I have to give her credit because in 2004, I met Lonnie Jennings, and this woman at that time in my life cracked the door open for me on this idea of things don't happen to me, they happen for me. She helped me see that people were going to show up in my life as a result of this open-mindedness and this willingness. And what she really did was help me stay in the moment. She taught me for the first time how to not live in my past and dwell on the things that were in my past that I can't change. She also taught me ways of not getting out in the future and worrying about what may or may not happen. She introduced me to, for the first time in my life in 2004 about this idea of living in the present moment. So she was a clinical psychologist. Initially, when I met Lonnie, she was a clinical psychologist who converted her practice to becoming a life coach. Gotcha. And over the years, I met you and Jim Kelly in 05. I met Richard Leiter in 2006. I met Bill Acheson in 2007. Then you introduced me to Glenn Thomas in 2011. We met Bo Eason in 2015. I met Vinny in 2017. And then I met my newest coach who's been really helping me see the world through some unique filters. And in Ted, just last year, I, I met my good friend, Ted. I've really, really appreciated, and I'm really grateful for 
how these coaches, and they're all coaches in, in their own right. They have different titles and they represent different areas of my life that they've helped me with, but they've all been that life coach that has helped me go deeper and deeper within to create an even stronger relationship with myself. I met one today. Driving here this morning to the recording studio, I met Jason Kidd in a calm masterclass on mental toughness. Nice. Sometimes it doesn't need to be new information. Sometimes it is very helpful to get a refresh. He talked in the masterclass on the concepts of, wait for it, rest and recovery. Ooh, don't give away too much because we're getting there. Which I've been doing a miserable job <laughs> of the last COVID 100 days is my rest and recovery has not been very good. But these coaches are going to pop up all over the place, right? These are the folks that you're mentioning we've had deep, meaningful relationships with. I do not have a deep, meaningful relationship with Jason Kidd, although I did listen to a 30-minute master class on the subject. And I just thought it was interesting how that popped up for me today. Yeah. Well, th right? those things pop up as long as we've cracked our minds open to be willing. So my hope for our friends that are with us here today is that you and I are possibly that Lonnie in their lives. You and I are the instigators that open the minds up. And what will be interesting to watch is how more people show up in our friends' lives that they wouldn't have been aware of and the impact they can have on their lives. Right. They wouldn't be aware of that if they didn't start here with us on this financial sobriety journey. Think of the countless books that you and I have read. Oh. The workshops. In this case, audio recordings being podcasts and master classes and well, we've read trainings, you, yeah. whether they were mandatory through the employer or voluntary through your pocketbook, just getting better at the craft. And the craft is, again, I'm going to reiterate this. It's not financial services, ladies and gentlemen. It's getting better at the craft of life. Absolutely. I will never forget the very first two books Lonnie put in my hands, The Power of Now by Eckhart Tolle. And I, I wish I could do my best Eckhart Tolle impression right now. Maybe we'll interview him one day on the podcast. <laughs> and then the second book she gave me was called Conscious Living, an author by the name of Gay Hendricks. Those two books started me on this journey of looking inward. I could name countless authors that you and I have read on self-love, self-care, physical, mental, emotional wellness, how to get out of the past and future to live in the present. And you and I have done this, all this work, working with these coaches, working with each other, reading mm -hmm. these books, all to better understand this thing of ours called ego. That was an incredible amount of content for our, our listeners today. And I really appreciate how you just shared that from your soul. Welcome. If you like what you heard, leave us a review and be sure to subscribe. And check out our website, yourfinancialsobriety.com. Thanks again for listening today. Here to help you find more clarity, confidence, and capability along your journey into financial sobriety. I'm Matthew Grishman. And I'm Jim Gebhardt. Be intentional with your money. Jim Gebhardt is a registered representative of and securities offered through Brokers International Financial Services, LLC, member SIPC. Jim Gebhardt and Matthew Grishman are investment advisor representatives of Gebhardt Group Incorporated, a registered investment advisor. Brokers International Financial Services, LLC, and Gebhardt Group Incorporated are not affiliated. The opinions in this podcast are for informational purposes only and are not intended to provide specific advice or investment recommendations. To determine which investments or 
or financial advice may be appropriate for you, consult a financial advisor prior to investing. Any reference to market performance is based on historical information and there is no expressed or implied guarantee of future performance. Opinions expressed on this program do not necessarily reflect those of Brokers International Financial Services, LLC. The topics discussed and opinions given are not intended to address the specific needs of any listener. Gebhardt Group Incorporated does not offer legal or tax advice. Listeners are encouraged to discuss their financial needs with the appropriate professional regarding your individual circumstance.